Welcome listeners to the inaugural episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. I am joined by the powerful wizards Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. As the title implies, this will be a podcast about the Magic the Gathering format Legacy, played in Stockholm, capital of Sweden. More specifically, we will talk about the legacy the three of us play and how we relate that to legacy in more general terms. Again, warm welcome. In this first episode, we will discuss Strixhaven Warlock shenanigans, evaluate the Sharksteel archetype, and see if Yorion is the card that makes Nickfit a viable deck, at least for the local paper metagame. But before we get into that, since this is our first episode, it seems proper to give a brief introduction of ourselves. Robin, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Uh, my name is Robin. Uh, I live in Stockholm. And uh, I work at a governmental committee. Uh, I started playing Magic in, uh, well, when Magic was released, actually, in 94. And uh, I played as a child. And then I, I took a hiatus from, from uh, Magic and, and came back to Legacy in 2014 in the Dig Through Time era. And uh, I play uh, different kind of decks, uh, fair, combo. Um, but I, I like like efficient um, decks. That's my specialty. Fantastic, magnificent! It's so great to be here with you, Christopher. Then, who are you? Tell us. So my name is Christopher. I'm born and raised in Uppsala, Sweden, but I've lived in Stockholm here now for around ten years. Um, I work as unemployed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm a student. I study at KTH as an engineer. And uh, I'm looking to get into some machine learning, which is a very exciting topic. I started playing Magic in 98 uh, when my dad uh, decided to uh, give me an Ursa Saga Preton uh, starter deck. Uh, I didn't understand the rules, but it was a lot of fun and I immediately fell into love with green decks. Uh, I, would, I would say that I got into Legacy at around 2011 for real uh, two of my friends who I had played some standard with uh, they decided to build a deck so I had all, some of these old cards and just threw a deck together and had a lot of fun with it so yeah that's uh, I I, uh, I tend to play Yankier decks uh, if I can uh, I love brewing and uh, I also love green enchantment decks such as Aluren food chain survival etc. That is brilliant. Excellent to have you here, Christopher. Thank you. Uh, I guess now it's your turn, Victor. Uh, I, I guess it is. Uh, my name is Victor Bernhardt. Uh, I also live in Stockholm, been here for most of my life. I spent one year in, in Brooklyn, uh, in New York, but uh, other than that, I've been here. Uh, I work at as a policy analyst uh, on AI, uh, machine learning and other stuff, uh, but the technical side, so the policy side. Uh, at the largest uh, trade union in Sweden. Um, I started playing Magic uh, when Fallen Empires was released, so I guess 95, 96. This is pre-me, so don't look at me. Depending on... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is pre... This no. is pre your birth, no? No, you, you were born in 90. <laughs> yeah, Fallen Empires was 95, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, so I, I, I loved putting orgs in my decks, and that really didn't work already at the time. Um, uh, but I discovered Legacy in uh, right around Return to Ravnica, 
uh, and immediately uh, fell into a very deep uh, Thalia rabbit hole and exclusively played Death and Taxes for years, had a fully foiled out deck and all that. Uh, but then I decided to branch out a couple of years ago, unfoiled the deck uh, and um, have been trying. Uh, I mean, I, I my, my MTG Twitter handle is Thraben Necromancer, so that sort of implies I still keep the D&T going, but I, I love me some Grizzled Brand as well. Uh, yeah. So, with introductions out of the way, um, a paper legacy podcast, 14 months into COVID lockdown. Uh, what gives? Well, as a matter of fact, we had plans to launch this podcast in early yeah. 2020, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as everyone knows, the world went ballistic. Uh, there wasn't magic happening. Everything was uncertain. But then for some time now, there has been uh, a well-organized paper legacy discord seen in Sweden, uh, both in Stockholm, but also nationally. People are playing desk Discord events, basically, with webcams and stuff. And this is where the three of us currently play. And it is from this community that we will be getting our source material for now, uh, at least until the world opens up again. Yep. Uh, so, uh, Christopher, Drixhaven, the new set, this was released in April of this year, and we've already seen some cards make their way into the Legacy decks. Thinking about Expressive Iteration with the Doom Apprentice, Fracture, Abundant Harvest. And the set has also provided you, uh, a Brewmaster, with uh, interesting material. Can you tell us a little bit about Sedgemowich? Yeah, absolutely. So. When uh, when I first saw the spoilers, I thought that uh, Magecraft looked like a really fun mechanic. You know, casting instants or sorceries or copying spells is something that you do quite a bit in Legacy. And uh, I'm not really the biggest fan of uh, the Smog decks. Uh, I think they are they have potential. They they look strong. They can do a very powerful thing, but in uh, just the cards on their own are also quite good. Uh, I've seen with the Bloom Apprentice kill people just by being in play and then playing a normal game of Legacy. And after seeing one screenshot from a vintage player on Twitter where it was 20 plus copies of Flusterstorm and Sedgemore Witch on the stack, I thought, I need to make that happen in Legacy. Somehow, I don't know how, but uh, I need to put Flusterstorms in the main deck. I need to be, build a really stupid deck that's fun to play, but also can pack a punch against some parts of the meta. So I, my brewing process usually uh, looks at a certain interaction that I enjoy. And another thing that I picked up on Twitter was someone trying to make up for the day's tempo loss by adding growth spiral into into the deck and uh, i thought okay so if we can cram a mystic sanctuary into a, a sedgemore witch deck we might actually have some sort of selection to what what instance of sorceries we would like to play so i started building around that and then finally landed around something that i think works quite good now um, I've uh, had some exams uh, coming up. Oh, well, they are coming up, so I haven't played as much as I would like. But 
the deck so far looks like this. Free Snapcast Mage, two Leovold, free Sedgemore Witch, one Uro, four Abundant Harvest, which is one of the newest cards that was released. It's a very good cantrip. I'm on the team cantrip side. Um, four Brainstorm, two Fatal Push, two Flusterstorm, four Ponder, one Unearth, two Abrupt Decay, four Days, four Growth Spiral, one Night's Whisper, and four Force of Will. Two Island, 10 Blue Fetches, uh, three Underground Sea, three Tropical Island, and a Mystic Sanctuary. So when playing this deck, it's just really fun to draw a lot of cards, get that Witch into play, uh, playing Growth Spiral, hold priority, days your Mystic Sanctuary to play. There's there's a lot of fun iteration to uh, work with, with this deck, and uh, I've really been enjoying it. So, can you just tell us what does Sedgemore Witch actually do and look like? Yes, so Sedgemore Witch, aka the the Black uh, Monastery Mentor, <laughs> that people call it. I'm not really sure if it's. Uh, a mentor, but I really enjoy it. So it's it's a free to menace for two generic one black that has a ward pay free life, which means that if someone targets it with the spell or ability, they have to pay free life or counter or that ability or spell gets countered. Uh, whenever you play an instant or sorcery or puts a copy of an instant or sorcery on the stack, you create one a 1-1 one, one, uh, pest that has, when this creature dies, you gain one life. So this is a token machine that has some evasion and just works really smoothly in a shell like this or in Grixis. That's wild. So uh, going forward, what do you think? How do you think you will continue with this brew, Christopher? Uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I need some more reps with it for sure. But uh, I've uh, <laughs> I've managed to talk my very uh, uh, Grixis-loving control friend to try it out, and he's really been enjoying the witch in his deck. So I might actually try a less more janky um, style and try a Grixis brew uh, with this with the witch as a, the primary win con. But for this deck. I actually quite like it now. I need some more reps. The mana base is definitely not <laughs> beautiful. It's a it's a child only. <laughs> mother could love, and I'm that mother. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm gonna do some more reps before making some drastic changes. Well, you gotta love yourself a warlock. Uh, Robin, gonna turn to you now. You've been sleeving up one of the breakout cards from 2020, Shark Typhoon from Icoria, together with the 2001 classic Standstill from Odyssey. Uh, how has this archetype been working out for you? Well, it's been working out pretty well. Uh, <clears throat> like, um, I, um, when I started playing Legacy, it was during the miracle top miracle era and uh, uh, then like uh, the blue and white control deck was uh, like a sworn enemy and I, I played food chain which was one of the decks that could uh, sort of uh, beat 
the countertop lock and uh, win with a, a combo out of nowhere. But uh, when the top was banned, uh, I actually uh, started brewing with blue and white control decks because it was a like interesting, innovative space uh, when the top was not longer there to tie the whole deck together. And that's when uh, uh, innovations like uh, um, like predict and uh, uh, unexpectedly absent and that kind of stuff uh, became a thing. But uh, since the printing of uh, Shark Typhoon, uh, Standstill has had a sort of a resurgence. And I've been playing uh, uh, a Standstill deck uh, for most of this year, actually. Uh, I've been playing other decks as well, but uh, I played it a lot during the fall, and I've been playing it in this league during this uh, during the May league. And it's been going really well. Uh, so I can tell you a little bit about my list. Uh, it's not uh, exactly maybe the stock list. It's uh, my version of it. Um, but it's um, it, it's a super solid mana base. Uh, it's nine basics, <laughs> six islands and uh, three planes. I, I will not get wasted out of this game. And uh, it's uh, it's all the fetches are, are fetching both planes and islands. So it's four prismatic vistas and four flooded strand. And then there's one tundra if you need it on turn one. Uh, and there's one Caracas and two Hall of Heliod Generosity, uh, which is the land that puts uh, an enchantment back on top, which is an integral part of the deck. So with Hall of Heliod's Generosity, uh, you are in favor of playing a lot of enchantments. <laughs> so I run uh, the Fork Shark Typhoons, which you usually, or almost exclusively, cycle to put in your graveyard, draw a card, put the shark into play, and then you haul it back to the top of your library to draw it the next turn. And there's four standstills, and then I run four more enchantments, uh, two Mithrealized and two Porphyry Nodes, which I will be talking about a little bit um, when I speak about the removal package. Um, and I play a little bit more, maybe win cons, you can say, uh, than I think the average uh, Shark Steel deck will do. So I play Gideon of the Trials and Gideon Ally of Sendicar, like a Gideon uh, tag team. So I like Gideon of the Trials because uh, it's sort of a maze of if kind of effect, <laughs> which works very well with sweepers. And that's like an, an old school uh, tech from <laughs> from the 93, 94 days. Uh, and uh, the ultimate, or what you what you should call it, it's a it's a zero uh, loyalty ability. But uh, the one that uh, that uh, force uh, make your opponent unable to win uh, is really strong uh, against some of the combo decks. Uh, some of the combo decks can just attack through it with an Ember Clue or something like that. But some of the combo decks struggle with that ability. And then you have Gideon of the Trials, which is a little bit uh, of the big brother that can make tokens uh, and make the emblem. So that's a, like a Gideon tag team. Um, and then I run a, a, a pretty big removal suit. So when it comes to the counter spell, it's four force of wills, two force of negations, and two spell pierces. And when it comes to removal of permanence, there's four swords to plowshares and uh, two supreme verdicts as the sweepers. And then there's the peripheral notes, which is 
something a little bit of uh, in between uh, a removal and a sweeper. So there's some really nice play patterns with the periphery nodes. Uh, like if your your opponent open up on a creature, say it's a noble hierarch or it's a uh, it's a delver, and you open up on your periphery nodes, and you put your opponent in a really awkward position to decide if they want to play a second creature or if they want to let the creature die and the nodes go. So if they don't play another creature, you just slam your standstill on turn two, and they will have to. I mean, even if they did play another creature, you are in, in a really good shape there. So uh, it, it has a little bit of a standstill-esque effect that it uh, delays your opponent's progress. So I like it very much. Uh, and then there's the council's judgment uh, to remove troublesome permanents that cannot be targeted or that is not a creature. And uh, two Teferi's Time Revelers to bounce uh, random things. So that's the deck. Uh, and I've been playing it through the league, um, and go winning all my matches in the in the Swiss. Uh, it was a our group had six people, and we only play four matches each. So it was one gay guy in my group that I did not face, uh, and he also uh, won all of his matches. So I was uh, sort of uh, looking <laughs> forward to meeting him in the in the tournament later. But uh, we never faced off, unfortunately. Um, but uh, in the top 16, I faced, uh, um, first I, I faced, uh, um, let's call it a brew around Ursa. It was not like the, the regular Ursa Stompy, but it was uh, bug colors uh, featuring Uro and a Thopter sword package. Yeah, I, I remember when you, when you sent the list and you're like, so this is the next match that I'm going to have. And I, I saw the Fopter package and I just, uh, I don't know, both, both became happy because it was a really sweet brew, but also this looks really bad for a standstill yeah. deck to play against. If, if the Fopter combo is in play, it's just, it's just a matter of time yeah. before it's but, over. Uh, how this deck played out, uh, the only problem I had was actually with Karns. Uh, and, and that is one of the reasons that I play uh, the White Walkers uh, and the Myth Realized. It's a way to have a, a pressure on on, uh, on uh, Planeswalkers when they are about to like run away with the game. So the games turned out that he was playing mostly out his creatures and like building a, a quick board. And uh, luckily for me, I drew my sweepers and uh, and could and could follow up with uh, standstill or planeswalker on my own. So the, I think the the matches turned out to be easier than I expected them to be, and I did not see uh, the top the foundry. Or, or actually, I did see it in game three, but then I had the stone silence already out, so it was not usable. <laughs> so that was. Uh, yeah, that sounds that sounds yeah. pretty sweet. It was uh, it was nice. And uh, uh, on the other side of the bracket, uh, uh, the person from my group, which played, uh, um, which I was talking about, that also too owed all of his matches. He played actually a Grixis brew around Sechmovich, uh, which was really cool, featuring uh, expressive iteration and a small smog package uh, to make infinite tokens when necessary. So it was real cool, but he got beaten up by blue and green Omnitel, and it was a, a really a strong list, I think. No, 
uh, no quattles, no uros, just veils, counters, spells, ways to find your show and tell, and then the like the package. So a, a really combo centric version. Just circles back, I guess. That's sort of just the really only the way you should play show and tell. Just yeah. no, don't try anything else. Just you know, the deck is called show and tell. Just you know, that's yeah. what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I totally agree. Put the namesake yeah, exactly. on the stack. So. I, I think this matchup is actually really bad if you play a control deck which has almost no clock. But I drew like a god. So I was on the play and I played Myth Realized on turn one and Standstill on turn two, which was really nice. And uh, so we had to battle on, on my on my standstill. So I got the force out of his hand. Um, and then I forced back because I had a force of uh, negation as well on the hand. So uh, he had to break the standstill and try to jam his show and tell. And, uh, and I had another counter for that. So from there, and he had to play the show and tell off a petal as well. So he was only at two mana. And now my myth realized was up to something like five or something. So I had a, a good clock <laughs> all of a sudden. I could close that game out. Build your own yeah, boy. That, that's how it works, <laughs> at least in that match. Uh, and then in game two, it was really interesting, but because um, we have uh, we had some fight over a standstill, and we had some fight over the theory. Uh, so I was uh, like having the initiative in that game. But uh, then we were both low on cards, and I had the swords which I kept in because he had Sentry's form. And uh, uh, what's that dinosaur called that show and tell sometimes play? He could board into a creature plan. So I, I kept a few swords, swords in. Uh, so he played a, a show and tell to put in a naked, uh, to put it in a naked crystal brand, which I could bounce with Caracas. Uh, and he could only draw, draw seven cards because he was at 14. Um, and he drew, he didn't draw the combo. So to say, so I could bounce the the Grizzle brand, and I put in a shark a typhoon uh, on on the on the show and tell. So it was an enchantment mm. in, in the play. So I could just make a lot of guys and win the game from there. So that was pretty nice to win a, a hard matchup as Omnitel. And then there was the finals, uh, which I faced uh, a blue and white midrange deck. <laughs> so it was a blue and white uh, finals in this league, and that deck was uh, it, it was a control killer in my opinion. It played four hull, no three hull breachers, uh, and it played three uh, true name nemesis, and it packed a lot of counter spells, uh, and it played also three uh, see uh, what is called the apparition, the white apparition that uh, exiles. Uh, a thing upon entering the battlefield. So, so that card was so strong against my proactive cards. Like I, I like to play cards that will be hard to deal with, such as uh, realized or the white planeswalkers. But he could just remove them with the with the, the apparition. So that was really strong. And uh, um, he he like forced my my. Uh, my supreme verdicts with the board, and then followed up with uh, the true name nemesis that I had real problems getting rid of. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I, I saw that it was streamed on, yeah. on Twitch and it looked like a struggle. And it's also such a feel bad when you play a standstill deck and you're, you know that your opponents are on cards such as Hellbreacher. Uh, because yeah. if they get to squeeze one in, it's just the worst feeling in the world when you have to crack your own uh, standstill. It's just uh, Yeah, it's I mean, I, I was playing around Hullbreacher almost all of the game, and I think that kind of tempo loss also mattered a lot. And in, in game one, I had uh, I had to... to uh, I think it attacked me like five turns before I get to remove it, because once he had it in play, he could just defend it with his counters. So it was a it was an interesting matchup, and I have I mean it was a brew that I faced, so I had not tested against anything similar to it before, and uh, I think maybe I should have played a little bit different and not not fight about my spells, only fight about his spells uh, with my own counter spells because mm. his Trunum was so hard to deal with. But it's easy to say maybe I should have just let him force uh, my cards and uh, and believe in the long game with uh, Heliod. So, uh, but I lost that 2-0 and came second in the league. But I, I've been really liking this Shark Steel deck. It's been so strong against the fair decks and uh, decent against the complex. Do you think that you will continue playing standstill decks moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when when the when the meta becomes uh, a Delver meta, which it may be now with the expressive iteration. Moving into the both Rug and UR Delver decks, I, I really like the standstill decks uh, to beat up on that kind of strategies. Uh, but if the meta becomes uh, more mid rangey, maybe I will play. Uh, maybe I will play some uh, Delver instead. <laughs> I like to play the 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 deck that is in uh, sort of in opposition of the, the tier one deck. Well, I mean, you made you made finals, so I mean that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Playing the right tech, I guess. Yep. Yeah, I've I've played against you quite a bit with this tech this um, this uh, autumn and uh, spring, and it's it's really been fun playing against the standstill deck because most of the time when when I sleep up the deck, I just want to burn people out with uh, some red spells. But your deck actually looks uh, functioning. <laughs> um, but I, but I really enjoyed some of the play patterns you mentioned, like the Perfect Nodes and also the, the Gideon um, that can put out the emblem that prevents your opponents from winning. So strong against Dooms Doomsday with Fastest Oracle or just Storm. It's such a pain to play against if you're on one of those. Uh, I'm not going to attack you for lethal. I'm going to do my own thing or tendrils you or something. And it's... It just sounds like such a nightmare to have fixed. Like, you imagine jamming your doomsday, and uh, you're thinking next turn I'm gonna win with a cavern uh, with Fasas Oracle, and there's nothing yeah. they can do. And they just play a Gideon <laughs> and say <laughs> so you can't win the yeah. game. So it's yeah. over. I mean, yeah, just for reference for people who may not be familiar with planar chaos enchantments, Porphyry Notes is a Ma one white mana enchantment that has the text at the beginning of your upkeep destroy the creature with the least power it can't be regenerated if two or more creatures are tied for least power you choose one of them when there are no creatures on the battlefield sacrifice porphyry nodes i haven't hadn't seen this card before you played it in this league yeah it's, it's, uh, it's... yeah you might have seen the green yeah. one 
the drop of honey which oh, is also right. very it's a it's a, one of the color shifter ones but it's a very it's a very nice card together with uh, the uh, heliods this also generosity. slightly more affordable than drop of honey yeah a little bit <laughs> yeah it, it's a cool card i mean it 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 um, I like what it do with the play patterns, but sometimes it's also really frustrating when when your opponent have a uh, like an onboard onslaught and you just want to remove something. You have to wait until your next turn to kill his worst guy. So that's a little bit annoying. And I had uh, I had this uh, uh, this event in in the finals where I had killed one of his apparitions, so I had spirits in play on my side and. Uh, he would only attack with his true name, so I could never trade with my spirit. So I had to kill my own spirit as the first creature with the periphery node. So that was really annoying. I mean, I have built my deck to not really have any creatures unless I, I, I'm starting to jam the sharks. So, yeah. That's some bad UX. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should uh, keep the show rolling. Um, I, like we talked about a bit, Shark Typhoon really made this deck into something completely different. And uh, the first times I saw it, I was not a believer, but I'm definitely a believer now. It's a really established card, so not only in standstill. But uh, now when we're talking about cards that really can create some sweet, good value, Victor, You've been trying out this Arena Rector card, and ever since it was released in Battle Bond in 2018, uh, we've seen some uh, numerous amounts of deck lists and thoughts and iterations. So, uh, have you found something that really satisfies your sacrificial <laughs> needs? I think I have. So, Arena Rector, for those who don't know, is is a companion with Academy Rector uh, from Ursa's something something. The, the laboratory uh, vial Ursa icon, which are one of those that is. Um, so Arena Rector and Academy Rector, what they do, they both cost three and a white uh, and are one, two creatures, uh, human clerics, I think. Um, and they have, when they die, you can exile them uh, and search libraries. So with the Academy Rector, the old one, you can search for enchantment and the Arena Rector, you can search for a planeswalker instead. And I was like, oh my god, this is uh, this is how you get to play Ugin, the spirit dragon, in Legacy. And uh, thinking to myself, and this is a couple of years ago now, when this was, this was spoiled, like, if I can get Ugin, the spirit dragon, into play in Legacy, I will win every match. Because that card will be amazing. Um, uh, it's such a fucking battle cruiser um, of a magic card. Um so at first, uh, I found this guy who was playing a, a, a Jang, so white, green, black, uh, Nick Fit list um, that used sort of, um, uh, there's this green enchantment from Magic Origins uh, that you sacrifice a creature, you get to search for another creature. Uh, sort of a very... Evolutionary. Evolutionary leap, exactly, that's what it's called. Um poor man's sort of modern times uh, survival uh, I guess uh, <laughs> in a way um, so you sort of sacrifice the, the number one Nick Fit card which is Veteran Explorer uh, and you find yourself a Rector and you sacrifice the Rector with the mana you got from Veteran Explorer and then you, you chain on so to speak 
uh, that deck was interesting. It played like Liliana's and it played uh, Ugin's and, and, and also played a Karn package. Uh, but at the same time, uh, just after this, I sort of had started playing this deck properly. Uh, much, much more powerful legacy cards came around because we all remember this was in the time of War of the Spark and onwards when uh, sort of every set broke legacy in half had to ban a couple of cards and next set comes around broke legacy apart and i mean nick fit which is an, an archetype based around veteran explorer and things i mean isn't really good deck to begin with let's be honest about that uh, and trying to play uh, a sort of a fun but subpar deck in an underworld breach euro uh oko uh red and six metagame it's just it doesn't really work so i had to put sort of i had to put things on hold and i had to sort of rethink my strategy uh and so then i started to brew inspired by some japanese players um uh, a white black stompulist so uh, you know lots of uh, soul lands uh, uh, chalice of the void um trinisphere these types of cards uh, and um Cavern of Souls uh, for the humans because the, I mean, the key thing with directors is that you have to the hardest part of the deck is finding a way to sacrifice them <laughs> you have to kill them <laughs> so in, in the first Nickfit package I tried killing them with um, with pernicious deed but that's way too slow uh, <laughs> Source of Plowshare just really gets there ahead of you because you have to spend turns just waiting to have mana to activate your pernicious deed and so on it didn't really work so in this black white version you have you can play a deck that plays four Shadows of the Void and four Cabal Therapy at the same time. <laughs> which was funny. Because you don't really need the Cabal Therapy to resolve. <laughs> you just need to cast it. <laughs> sacrifice your wreck. So sweet. <laughs> it was really sweet. And, and with that black white version I, I had some, some fun uh, you know, in local paper events. I remember losing turn. to that with Snowco. That was a terrible experience. <laughs> that was so much fun. Turn three Ugin and just like yeah, from a cavern as well. <laughs> yeah, from a cavern. What are you gonna do now? It's like uh, I don't know. <laughs> Guess I'll go home. <laughs> but also, it didn't really hold up uh, because it was quite inconsistent. Like there would be these these games where just you would never draw your rector because there's no way to find them. Uh, so it was really sort of very hit and miss type of uh, type of deck building and again also of course also a deck trying to do two things trying to be a stompy deck but then i'm gonna win with this two card sacrifice combo it's just just play a regular stompy deck and you'll win faster i guess uh, was my evaluation but then uh, i have uh, in this during this winter uh, again the japanese players uh, teaching me their ways and this japanese guy who's who's done two top eights uh, of, uh, I think, uh, um, challenges on, on Magic Online uh, on a Yorion Nick Fit deck. So Yorion, uh, of course, being a card uh, that makes you play an 80-card main deck instead of a 60-card main deck. And I'm like, well, why would you want to do that? Um, and I'm going to quickly run you through the list, which explains why you want to do that. So you know we have Veteran Explorers, because again we're back at Nickfit. We have uh, Directors, three of each in the main deck. Uh, three Karns, one Ugin, that's the only Planeswalkers. Uh, no Liliana, no Shenanigans, no Nicol Bolas, nothing of like that. Just very plain, a Karn package and one Ugin. 
Um, and you go to instant and sources, you play 25 of these. So you play four crop rotation. And this is to fetch your number one sacrifice card, which is Phyrexian Tower, uh, which taps for black or taps to sacrifice, uh, no, taps for colorless. And then you can also tap it and sacrifice a creature to get two black into your mana pool. So I sacrifice a land, which is the best sacrifice uh, outlet I have discovered because, you know, you can put them into play for free and they're difficult to remove. Um, and you play, uh, so then you play three source of plowshares, four Assassin's Trophy. And Assassin's Trophy is really good with another card in this deck, which is Opposition Agent. The combination of Veteran Explorer Opposition Agent is cruel. So Opposition Agent, of course, is the fairly new card for two and a black, a three-two flash. Uh, that whenever an opponent searches a library, you get to search a library instead, and you get to exile the cards and play them at your leisure, basically. Um, so you kill your veteran explorer, and you search your opponent's deck for two of their basic lands, and you can put them into play <laughs> subsequently. Uh, it is very dirty. Uh, and of course, Assassin's Trophy it's is a removal dirty. of any permanent that makes your opponent search for a basic land as a reward for you removing their permanent uh, over cheaply. But then, of course, <laughs> with the opposition agent, you also get their land instead. People have scooped to this. Uh, <laughs> and also the added value of just having to tax your opponent's deck on basics because you're already using veteran explorers so they fetch out all their basics and then you have this instant speed vindicate that just picks out anything yep. when they don't have anything left it's very very annoying i've been on the wrong and side they have three vanishing versions which is the black white new removal of uh, any monocolored permanent uh, four cabal therapy three thoughtsies uh, because again you have to play 80 cards you can put all these all the good stuff in there and then for living wish and this is uh, sort of when everything came together for me like of course you have the Karn wishboard package but you also have a living wish wishboard package you can put your academy and arena rector in the sideboard and find them um, so by using living wish methods you have more copies of of your card basically and then we go quite heavy on the enchantments. You have four abundant growths, which is sort of fixes your mana. Uh, and it's nice to bounce with Yorion. Uh, gives you some value. Uh, and then you have one curse of misfortunes, which is a curse from Dark Ascension that allows you to search for other curses in your upkeep. Uh, and those other curses you have are Curse of Deathholds, which give your opponent's creatures minus one, minus one, and Overwhelming Splendor, which makes your opponent's creatures one ones. Also, uh, they can't activate any abilities unless, unless there are mana abilities. Uh, incidentally, they can't fetch <laughs> uh, with these. Um, then you have Dovescape, because why not? <laughs> Combos fairly well with Curse of Death's Hole. Um, and then you have Omniscience, because since you play for Living Wish, if you have a Living Wish on hand, uh, you can you, you sacrifice an Academy Rector for Omniscience. You can fetch from your sideboard Emrakul the Aeon's Thorn. <laughs> torn and then play Emrakul and just win by playing Emrakul, which has happened uh, several times. So this is this is uh, I would say this is the most insane list I've played. I'm usually a person who plays like <laughs> stock lists of DNT Reanimator. I've dabbled in blue decks and, and 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 such and such, but haven't really been. I never try something that feels this innovative. Um. Also, again, because you have Living Wish, you have also have one Frex and Tower in the sideboards. So you can find your best land. Uh, and this has been going pretty well. Um, in this last tournament, I went 4-0. Uh, 
in the group stage. Uh, then of course, uh, since I have a family, uh, I couldn't play the top eight anyway, so I scooped in the top sixteen. But <laughs> I got to beat UR Delver, got to beat Goblins, uh, I beat Infect, and I beat. Uh, I think the last one was uh, a Grixis deck. Uh, I'm not sure now. Um, but uh, I mean, the deck had some values to it, also because they really don't know what's going on. Uh, so you go like turn one savannah, turn two uh, cavern of souls human. <laughs> They're like okay. Uh, turn three, sort of just play go, and then you flash in opposition agent, uh, play a rector, sacrifice it to your stuff, and then just oh, what just happened? I lost to Emrakul <laughs> out of this after this eighty card Nickfit deck. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty sweet list for sure. I really like the. Uh, I mean, if if you would have revealed Yorion uh, at the beginning of me sitting in front of you and playing, and then went like uh, non-blue card, non-blue card, non-blue card, I'd be <laughs> shaking. I think <laughs> what's going on. Uh, the deck is the deck's weakest nemesis is Robin's main deck, uh, uh, Gideon Ale of Sendikar. Makes Dovescape horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny experience when I, I altered it <laughs> and my doves were better than his. Like, oh, you have two twos. Well, I've been oh. playing it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I've been playing against it a fair amount and it, it, it's it been beating me as well a lot of the times. <laughs> Turn three, Ugin is not pretty. But it, uh, it seems a little bit high risk, high reward combo uh, when you don't play the blue package of Brainstorm and, and Ponder and, uh, and the counter spells. But... Will you keep playing this deck, Victor? I think I will. Um, uh, I mean, this list feels fairly tuned, uh, but then again, it's an 80-card list uh, of, of three colors that also has really good mana fixing. Um, I think there's lots of opportunity. I mean, for example, the Vanishing Verse uh, are a new addition from Strixhaven. Uh, and the guy who who, who, who sort of uh, I found this deck at, he he sort of top eighted before without the vanishing verses, but he sort of instantly put them in. Uh, um, and I think I mean there are a lot of enchantments in the history of Magic the Gathering. Uh, I mean, f- Robin, you played for many years ago. You you played a Nickfit deck that had a uh, a card that we always call Vir Machine, uh, but <laughs> yeah. but it's actually called what is it called? <laughs> Uh, the convergence, yeah, yeah sandworm, sandworm convergence, convergence, like this enchantment that gives you a, a big worm every turn. Hence, Virum machine. I mean, there's there so many things you can jam into a, a, a Nick Fit Yorion deck that are gonna be both sweet and good. Um, at least, as um, at least I've said in the entrance of this episode, uh, good enough for a local paper meta game. Um, I don't know if I would be confident bringing this to sort of a Grand Prix and sort of with high ambitions of spiking. But then again, that's not me. So so I'm happy. Uh, and with that happiness, uh, we have arrived at the end of our first episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Uh, thank you for staying with us uh, uh, through the end. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, of course, for us, this will be a learning experience, uh, and um, we look forward to continue. Uh, if you had a good time, uh, a great way to thank us for that good time is to tell a friend uh, that, about this podcast so that they might also enjoy it. Uh, and with that, I want to say thank you very much, 
Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström, powerful wizards. My name is Victor Bernhardt, and until next time, may the variance shift ever in your favor. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.